Sarah Lily Lamascus has always been told she's just like her grandmother. <laughs> like, she just does not care what people think. Around her local lesbian bar, Sarah Lily just goes by Lily. So that's what we'll call her. Because apparently there's like eight Sarahs that come in here, and I wanted to differentiate myself. But back to Lily's grandmother. She is opinionated and not afraid to voice it. She's fearless and smart and would go to the ends of the earth for anybody when she was alive. So much so that when she passed, she only had $500 to her name. After being a registered nurse and, um, you know, owning restaurants and stuff all her life, she could have easily had a nice retirement fund to live off of. But instead, she scraped by just so that others wouldn't go without. It was a lot of people in my dad's life when he was a kid that would stop by her restaurants and come see Mama Lynn is what they called her, Mama Lynn. Lily hangs on to the good things about Mama Lynn. I don't know. I just kind of aspired to take those positive sides of her personality and take it as a compliment, the fact that I've always been told that like I'm a strong-willed person and I'm a fighter and kind of makes me think of her when I have moments like that. But when it came to Lily's sexuality... She didn't see eye to eye with Mama Lynn. My grandma and I actually had a really big argument. And um, I had a friend and um, her and I were a little bit talking and stuff. But um, my grandma asked, you know, what is this girl doing posting on your Facebook? You know, winky faces and kissy hearts and blah, 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 blah. And I just I was like, well, I'm a lesbian. I pursue women. And it was like, bull, bull. No, you're not. <laughs> The reason behind Mama Lynn's homophobia is a shocking one and a pretty extreme demonstration of just how fearless she really was. She was um, a wild card. She, By the time she was 19, she got arrested for attempted murder and arson because she found her husband at the time in bed with a man. So she has always had an extreme bias against LGBTQ. And I can't say that I blame her. I just wish she would have gotten before she passed, like out of that mindset that just because one person did something wrong to you doesn't mean that people as a whole are terrible, you know, just because of them being gay or whatever else. Lily was never really able to convince Mama Lynn that it was okay for her to be gay. That's actually been an issue with Lily's whole family. I mean, I've told them that I'm a lesbian and it was just kind of like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> you're not. My parents are, again, very religious because we do live in the Bible Belt and it's just kind of the norm. It doesn't matter if I come out or not. They're not going to believe me until they see it face to face. Even when I did have my girlfriend, my mom would only ever call her my friend, my little friend. They were just still hoping, just praying, like, I just want you to find a nice white man and have redheaded babies with. I'm a ginger, by the way, <laughs> since y'all can't see that. But um, literally, they want me because if I have a mixed race child, it's not going to have red hair. So it's been a frustrating thing in my life. But within the past year or so, Lily has found a chosen family at Alibis, one of two lesbian bars in Oklahoma City. Ironically, she can thank Mama Lynn for that. During the pandemic, Lily moved from her family's home in Texas to Oklahoma City to take care of her grandmother, who, despite their differences, she's always been incredibly close with. Yeah, like I was very attached to my grandma. We, we really connected in a lot of ways. Once settled in at Mama Lynn's house, 
Lily discovered her new local lesbian bar, Alibis. Every single person up there was just so friendly and asked me questions about myself. And were just real people and really sweet and generous to me as far as just make me feel welcome, I guess. A few months after that first visit, Mama Lynn passed away. So Lily started to grieve and make plans to move back to Texas. The day that I had resigned myself to having to move back, this girl that I've known for a long time, like since I was in third grade, she just hit me up and she was like, hey, my roommate just moved out. And um, it's it's a beautiful home and I just need somebody to help me pay the bills and be here to pay rent. You know, half the rent, I can't afford it alone. And it was just literally like it was meant to be. In Lily's words, this was kismet. So she stayed and started going to alibis more and more often. In the last month and a half or so after my grandma passed away, I was just like, I really need to be somewhere, <laughs> not home. <laughs> Lily's new house is much farther from Alibi's than she used to be. It's about 45 minutes away, but that hasn't stopped her. I work in Yukon, and that's about 15 minutes from this bar, so it's like kind of on the way home, and I like to stop here and just hang out, not even necessarily drink every time, just kind of talk to people and decompress before I go and drive home. So It works out nicely, because early evening is Lily's favorite time to be at the bar. I, I do like when it's more low-key. This time of day, about 6.30-ish and at, in the evening, is perfect. This beautiful little outdoor area right here where it's just comfortable, shaded, you know. I like just sitting out here and watching the sun go down, I guess. This is Cruising podcast about the last lesbian bars in the U.S. My name is Sarah Gabrielli, and I'm traveling to each one of them with my two friends and chosen family. This is stop number 12, Alibis. You might be surprised to hear Oklahoma is tied with New York for the state with the most known lesbian bars. It has three. And there are two in Oklahoma City alone. There's Frankie's, which we'll get to next week. And of course, alibis. So imagine the OKC lesbian community. Shockingly enough, it's huge here. It is huge here. Like people from other larger uh, communities and uh, states are shocked this is Crystal Campbell McDaniel, one of Alibi's two co-owners. That second voice in the background is the other co-owner and Crystal's partner, Tiffany. The lesbian bar owners can only guess as to how Oklahoma City became such a hotspot. Cost of living is low, um, so therefore, you know, it lends to single people or single uh, incomes. Like if, you know, because a lot of a lot of people still or a lot of people don't combine finances. And so that lends to allowing you to be able to support yourself or live communally without too much issue. Crystal took over alibis in 2013, but she's always heard stories about the bar's origin back in 2003 or at least versions of that story. Bar talk is always bordered on bullshit a little bit. Um, 
And uh, so I don't know what's true and what's not 100% true. The original owner of Alibis is the one that passed it on to Crystal. Her name is Kathy. So um, the previous owner purchased um, an old bar called Mr. Max. And it was just your neighborhood dive bar, uh, hole in the wall, like... Um, used to be like members only, you know, kind of, uh, you'd bring in your bottle, put your name on it, and they would give you the mixers type of bar. So she bought it and she changed it into alibis. From Mr. Max, Kathy inherited a very different sort of clientele. When she took over, that had a predominantly straight clientele, your straight blue, clock, blue collar worker clientele. And the bar's regulars definitely weren't used to having a lesbian around. It took them a while to acclimate to a female lesbian owner. Soon after Kathy took over Alibis, Crystal started frequenting the bar as a customer. And it just was a place that was comfortable. You could go in, didn't matter if you were alone, everybody loved you, like talked to you and loved you. And it was just good, a good energy. Around 2010, Crystal was in nursing school, but she decided to trade in that career path to work at Alibis. I mean, realistically, it was money. Um, I could work minimal amount of hours a week and make really good money and um, stay with my, be with my kids more often and not have to be a nurse and have to do, deal with people dying. <laughs> so it just made sense. Yeah. Crystal describes herself as... A lot. I'm just a lot. I'm the person that they always told that was too much. So you'll usually know if I'm around. I'm just very loud and bubbly and obnoxious sometimes, but... Sometimes in the best ways, sometimes not all in the best ways. She attributes some of this to her ADHD. But that doesn't stop her from being an effective leader in the community. I feel like a lot of people look to me to be the supportive one and to be the one in control and to be the one that's got their shit together. And I try to be that for them at all times. So I don't know. I guess I just I try to lead by example, even though sometimes when I'm struggling with like ADHD triggers like, that's why this con, this having this type of interview is very hard for me because you're asking me questions and you need to an answer right away. And that's really difficult because it's so jumbled. But I vowed that I was going to do interviews no matter what, even if I felt uncomfortable. Like many lesbian bar owners, Crystal met her wife right here at the bar. My name is Tiffany and I go by she or her and part owner along with Crystal. The pair met pretty soon after Crystal started working at Alibis. We did. We did. Um, She uh, came in on my very first shift alone and said she told her friend she was going to marry me. And I had never I had been with a couple girls, never had a serious relationship with a female and told my boss that that at the time that I was going to marry her. When you're a bartender, you just get hit on. It's normal. So (laughs) having people say things like that is just normal. But regardless, they started dating a few months later. And in that time, Tiffany got a job at Alibis as well. She would work the door. The nights that she bartended, I was her security. Not to make sure that nobody like hit on me or anything, but mainly because it just made sense. If I was going to tip somebody out, the money stays in one account. <laughs> Before Tiffany, Crystal's kids hadn't really felt the impact of her dating women in such a conservative area. I split up with their, their dad when I was uh, pregnant with our daughter. Um, I left then, and I've been with women predominantly since. So since I was 24. But now, Crystal was in a committed same-sex partnership. She wasn't just a single mom picking up her kids from school. Everybody was fine 
if it was me presenting the children. Um, they were fine with it up until the moment that they saw her. And then our children were no longer allowed to like hang out with certain people. So how do you explain to a five-year-old, hey, you can't hang out with your friend anymore because we're gay? Today, Crystal's kids are in their early 20s. Their only real issue with their mom's lifestyle is that she's kind of a workaholic. I'll work from the moment I wake up to the moment I drop. And I mean, if that means I'm working till if I wake up at 6 a.m. or 4 a.m., I will work until 2 or 3 in the morning sometimes. So they don't like that. But as I mentioned, Crystal and Tiffany didn't take over alibis until 2013. In the meantime, Kathy was working hard to bring in queer patrons and win over the straight ones. Ten years had gone by, and Kathy was burnt out. A lot of people were kind of dying off, too. And I know that sounds awful, but um, it's unfortunate in just bar business that, you know, your old regulars kind of die off and then you have to kind of get new ones. And I think that um, as the crowd started to age... She didn't want to have to rebuild again. Crystal didn't hear this from Kathy herself. This is just what she heard from one of Alibi's longtime vendors. But either way, Kathy was ready to sell. And it only made sense for Crystal and Tiffany to take over the bar. We actually had an investor approach us, and um, then the rest kind of was history. I had worked there for so long that I had become the face of Alibi's. And so just the taking ownership just was... The next step. From the outside, Alibis is nondescript. A red awning with white block letters, a gray door, and brick walls painted black. We were unsure for a moment if we were in the right place. But once you step inside, it's clear this is a queer bar. Hello. Hi. Hi. How's it going? Street signs behind the bar read gay way and lesbian, along with stoner Ave. The walls are lined with rainbow posters that say things like, be a good human, everyone is welcome here, and I was once a tomboy, now I'm a full-blown lesbian. I mean, we got the naked ladies over there, all of our sarcastic sayings over here. Alibis is relatively small, probably one of the smallest on our list. But it's basically broken up into three sections. The room to the left of the bar has a projector screen, tables, and chairs. Um, we do, like, football games. That's where we do all of our karaoke on. And to the right of the bar, there's a pool table surrounded by walls of chalkboard paint. And the room in the middle, right when you walk in, is the bar. One of the first things I noticed about the bar is the bowls of candy. Yeah, so the Jolly Ranchers or just something for your mouth, you know, like people, because we're, we have, we're not smoking now. This is Lisa, a bartender and manager at Alibis who took care of us that day. She said the whole non-smoking thing is relatively recent. Before the pandemic, smoking was allowed inside the bar. Well, we closed down for 2020 on St. Patrick's Day. We were closed for three months and we renovated. Um, we were smoking beforehand, so when we went, we when we were closed, we cleaned everything, and uh, we went non-smoking, and it's kind of helps. It's helped a lot of us quit smoking too. So, yeah. No. <laughs> I am trying to quit, but it's it's one of those things where I want to, but I don't want to, so I can't yet. But I just candy for candy, but all the candy's free. 
Sometimes it's mints. Sometimes it's Jolly Ranchers. There are no state laws prohibiting smoking indoors in Oklahoma. So we were surprised to learn this is still relatively common in bars. It was kind of a big deal that alibis decided to change their rules. But the Jolly Ranchers help, and so does their new outdoor space. That's also when we got the patio built. So it was a good transition to reopen with non-smoking inside. And so you can go see the new patio and you can smoke out there. Um, So if we hadn't had the patio, it would have been a disaster. Um, But it was a good transition just because we had that. And it was was June, so it wasn't too hot. And it was still kind of nice outside. So we were like, oh, no, you can't. But go check out the new patio. You can smoke out there. And we're 420 friendly. You can vape inside. You can smoke outside as long as you're respectful. Um, So that helped us with the patio as well, because who doesn't want to hang out on the patio and just smoke? Whatever. Sitting at the bar inside, we found an entire menu of mocktails, all made with non-alcoholic spirits. Crystal is sober and hasn't been drinking for maybe over a year now. So she, it's very important, like, she has, like, the non-alcoholic liquors and beers, you know, we want it because we just want this to be a safe spot, you know. A lot of people come here, and we want them to feel like it's safe. Like, you can come in by yourself, and no one will harass you because you're just sitting there by yourself, you know. And then you can drink or not have alcohol. Like, they're called Ritual. It's a whiskey alternative, and we have whiskey, gin, and dark rum. I didn't even know alcohol-free gin existed, but Lisa made me a drink with that, elderflower, and rose lemonade. There you go. Thank you. Lisa has been working at Alibis for about seven years, but she was introduced to queer nightlife long before she started mixing drinks. Back in high school... Lisa and her friends used to go to an underage dance club called The Rec Room. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, every week, literally at, at 16. It was Thursday, Friday, Saturday of every week. The Rec Room opened in the early 80s, and it sat on 39th Street. That's Oklahoma City's gay strip. And it was behind one of the clubs, so you couldn't see it from the street, but you could get, you could like, you had to go like around the alley, and then the door was back there. And then, yeah, they didn't serve any alcohol. There was a cover, five bucks maybe. It seems that the rec room was a formative experience for a lot of young queer people in the area. So I got in touch with Stephen Morton to find out more about it. Stephen DJed at the dance club in the early 90s, and he knew the owner, Scott Wilson. Scott really wanted a place for people to go and be free. uh, To be themselves. And it was very gay-oriented, and he was very uh, adamant about that. Uh, He wanted uh, them to have a place to go. Scott actually owned a number of bars on the 39th Street Strip, and he was pretty essential in establishing the nightlife and culture there. Scott took his inspiration from Cavan Enterprises, a string of iconic gay clubs in Dallas, Texas. And he wanted that uh, 39th Street block to be a similar kind of experience. So he kind of put all the elements in. You know, he he had an after-hours bar, he had the main bar angles, um, and he kind of modeled it after uh, Oaklawn. Oaklawn is the name of Dallas's gayborhood. All these bars were were packed in together in a one block area. So uh, Scott set it up that way. Uh, Angles is modeled after Village Station. 
The video bar, the park, is the one that got opened that was the video bar. And starting in the early 80s, the rec room was the dance club. We wanted it to be an after-hours place because the people still wanted to dance after 2 a.m. So he uh, chose to make that one a non-alcoholic place so that he wouldn't have to close. And after the bars closed, everybody could go there and keep dancing. But what was it like inside the rec room? Like a uh, ruddy old pool hall. <laughs> it it didn't look great. Uh, it was very 80s looking uh, in the old... It was almost looked like an arcade and pool hall that just got gutted and a few pool tables were left. Um, had killer sound system. It had a, a giant, uh, you know, two giant bass bins on the dance floor that were clips and you could dance on top of them. Um, and then uh, a hanging sound system after that. So the sound was killer. We had a video screen down on one end, so we ran video and I mixed the video. The vibe was just joyous and free you know the energy was high and it was people were out there to really let loose and let it all hang out because the rest of oklahoma was very conservative very strict this vibe attracted all walks of life not just underage queer kids like lisa because it was like this um ecology of misfits right in oklahoma it was anyway none of us fit anywhere else but we were all completely accepted out there. It was literally a melting pot for Oklahoma City at the time. Everybody was there. There were congressmen, there were lawyers, there were, you know, it was, it was the fun spot. You could really let your hair down and just do whatever you wanted. You know, a lot of straight people went. The owner, Scott, is a gay man and always did his best to keep the club from getting too straight. If it got too many straight people there all the time, he tried to make it a little more gay. It would increase uh, drag shows, number of drag shows uh, over a weekend, or um, an occasional uh, dress requirement, um, things like that. As a former rec room DJ, Stephen might be biased, but he says the best part of the club was the music. The music was phenomenal. When I started going, and, you know, I hope I kept it that way when I was DJing there, it was the best underground music that you could find in Oklahoma, period. And that's why I started going for sure and stayed with it, was because I heard music there I would have never heard anywhere else. You know, the gay community musically changed after that time, but back in the late 80s, that's where the best underground music was. For Lisa and her friends, the rec room was more about finding a safe haven outside of her small town. We lived in Mustang, which is about 20, 30 minutes away. So only our group knew about it from our school. So it was the one place that we had that we didn't see anybody else that we knew. And then we, I mean, it was right here in the metro in the middle of the city and it was just full of gay people. It was, it was heaven. Lisa and her friends first discovered the rec room when they were around 15 or 16. Well, it was the only club that you could go to at such a young age. It was the only thing that we had. And for them to even have a club you can go to at that, you know, like, it was, was awesome. It should probably have been washed over a little bit more, <laughs> thinking back on, like, everything that I've done. But 
it was the first time I'd been introduced to a drag show, a drag queen, a drag king, um, anybody that was trans at such a young age, you don't normally get that. And that's what the rec room was for a lot of us. The rec room was formative for Lisa in a lot of ways. I mean, for one thing, when she first started going, she earnestly identified as straight. When I started going, I was going because my friends were gay and it was just, I was going with my friends and met a girl and started texting and calling and was like, oh, no, I'm not. I'm just coming out with my friends. I'm not gay. And then, you know what? I was. I still am. Lisa came out to her mom soon after she got this first girlfriend. Me and my mom were having the outs because I hadn't come out to her yet. We were fighting and I hadn't really been home all week. And she had asked me where I'd been. And I was like, oh, my friend so-and-so and this other girl. And she was like, oh, so that's your girlfriend, right? And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, me letting you stay at so-and-so's house is like me letting you stay at your boyfriend's house because that's your girlfriend. And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> it is. And then we had a great day. My mom and I's relationship has completely changed since then. But yeah, I was about 16. We, I've, Her and I had it out for each other. And we'd were, we always butt, butted heads when I was that young and... That was just me keeping that big secret from her. And then once I did, it was her and I have had the best relationship. But outside of her mom, Lisa had a hard time finding community once she came out. That is, until she found alibis. When you grow up and you're, you come out at an early age, I came out 16, you know, you don't really have a lot of community because you, none of your family wants really anything to do with you or even coming out any time and having people accept you is always hard. So when you do find your friends and a family and a community, you try to stick with that. And that's what this bar is for me. Lisa started coming to alibis in her early 20s. And then in her mid-20s, she started bartending there. Now, seven years later, alibis is still a small, close-knit family with Lisa at the center. They gather there for every occasion, from deaths and tragedies to birthdays and holidays. We have a Friendsgiving here at the bar every year around Thanksgiving, and we cover the, the pool table and there's food. There's tables along the side and there's just that whole area up there is covered with food. So we have like a clipboard and you just say what you're bringing so people know like they don't bring double things. Um, and then the whole place is just packed. Because... People don't have that. You know, they don't have that with their families. And we're, we're able to do that for them. And it's, it's open to everybody. By everybody, she means patrons and staff and community members. Literally anyone who needs a place to celebrate. The staff itself is made up of just three bartenders, the two owners, and Leroy. Leroy, and he just comes in at night and helps us close sometimes. But we would never disregard Leroy. He's always here. He shows up and just helps us. <laughs> what do you, wait, what do you mean? Like, I mean, he, he is scheduled. Um, but, like, he just, he'll show up at, like, 1.30 and help us close. It's not like, so we're not leaving by ourselves. He's not full-time. I think he has, like, two or three nights a week. But he just, he just comes in and helps us close up. Lisa is incredibly close with the other two bartenders. 
we all do, we all are friends and we all get along. One is actually my girlfriend and the other is my best friend. Lisa and her girlfriend, Abby, got together a little over a year ago. I did meet her pretty much here. Uh, She had already started working for us. And then we started dating after our Christmas party last year. (laughs) You know, stuff happens. So Lisa comes in to hang out even on her days off. She never really goes a day without stopping by alibis. So it's very easy to come up here when you know it's going to be one of the three of us. So like a lot of the regulars, we come in here and we'll know, we know we know the bartender and we know that we can at least hang out with our friends even if they're working. And sooner or later, someone's going to show up to hang out, you know, like, Hey, you want to play pool? Yes, play pool. Since we visited in the afternoon, we were surrounded by a small crowd of devout regulars like this. One of them was Lily, who we talked to earlier. And then we met one of the many Sarahs that Lily had mentioned. Sarah Selkert and her black lab. Uh, This is Oreo. She's been coming here since she was six months old, and she's about two and a half now. So she's been coming here most of her life. She's well known here to say the least. Oreo isn't a service animal, but dogs are allowed inside as long as it's not too busy. Originally, Sarah got Oreo through her cousin. Yeah, I guess one of their friends found her just at a Walmart parking lot and they decided to take her in and and but they had a toddler at the time and so a 4-month-old puppy and a toddler at in the same household was quite a bit quite a bit of energy and and I had actually just moved here from Arizona like three months prior. So I was like, sure, I'll take a dog. (laughs) And I had already been coming here pretty frequently. And so I just immediately brought her here. Like didn't even go home first. She came straight here uh, just to like show her off to, to Lisa and the other bartenders at the time. Of course, Oreo was a big hit at Alibis. Everyone loves her there. This was like a second home to me, honestly. And, and now it's a second home for both of us. So that's pretty cool. Before adopting Oreo, Sarah had only been coming to Alibis for a few months. She came out back in 2018. I have a tattoo on my arm that I use to come out. Uh, you can read it, because I can never really remember the full words, or do you want me to? It feels so much better to have one person really know you and love you than to have a hundred people love you and never really know you. That was Lily reading off her arm there. Her and Sarah are good friends. The quote is from a video by queer YouTuber and photographer so Shannon Beveridge. It's like every day I'm, I feel more confident, every single day. It's crazy. It's crazy. And that's going to happen for you guys. And that's so exciting for me. And I'm so happy. Sarah says Shannon's videos inspired yeah. her to come out. Kind of clicked that I'd rather live my life as me and be happy than to succumb to societal norms, societal standards, all of that kind of stuff. Shannon also inspired Sarah to pursue photography. Watching her do photography and just liking her style um, kind of got into it for fun um, and then realized that she was doing like concert photography and I was like, I would love to do that. I love to travel. I love concerts. About two years ago, Sarah actually got to meet Shannon at a concert. Sarah didn't know it at the time, but this would ultimately lead her to alibis. An LGBTQ singer, her name's Fletcher, was performing. 
Her photographer at the time was the girl that inspired me to come out and do photography of my own. When Sarah got the chance to talk to Shannon that night, she asked her for advice on getting started as a photographer, to which Shannon said she should offer to photograph people for free. Sarah has always been introverted. But after meeting Shannon, she vowed to start putting herself out there and approach people to take their photo. Kind of kept an open mind the whole process of like meeting new people and getting out of my comfort zone kind of thing. So, Which yeah. landed her at a random Oklahoma City bar with her camera. I walked up to these two people shooting pool, said, hey, can I shoot your, like, take your photos while you're shooting pool? I'll leave your face out of it. Um, started talking and one of them told me how they hosted open mic at the time at a bar in the city, aka here in Alibis. So that chance encounter pointed Sarah in the direction of alibis. And of course, at the lesbian bar, everyone was incredibly welcoming of her. I mean, everybody's always been like open and friendly and I'm very like reserved at first. <laughs> so even even if I didn't want to interact with people, they never made it feel weird or awkward. I just hung out and watched people and eventually started talking to people. Through alibis, and the kindness of the other people there, Sarah even landed herself a new camera. I actually met somebody recently that was driving from Florida to Colorado for work, and they stopped here, of all places, and we were talking about photography one night, the night that they were here, and they happened to have four Polaroid cameras in their car, two of which were for their, their niece and nephew, one was for them, and they were like, you can have this, and just gave me a Polaroid camera. And I was like, that is the sweetest, most amazing thing that anybody's ever done. Holy crap. Um, so that was within this bar. Like, that's the kind of people you meet. Since the pandemic, Sarah has experienced a second coming out of sorts. I'm very much mask and androgynous as it is right now. And that has is a fairly new thing in my life. And in Oklahoma, even though I chose to move here, it still can be intimidating and, and overwhelming. And you never know what kind of people you're going to meet. Over the past two years, Sarah says, her outward appearance has changed. Uh, I mean, so obviously it's a podcast, you can't see my face, but I've, I'm, I was born a female. I am, have not taken hormones, but I have naturally high testosterone, so I have facial hair. And that is a since the pandemic thing. Sarah has PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is an incredibly common hormone disorder. That's why she has high testosterone. But during the pandemic, Sarah came to embrace this new part of her. And I just learned to accept it and deal with it and not be against it. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And if you, if you like it, great. If you don't like it, that's not your choice. Not your life, not your body. <laughs> I'm comfortable, I guess, is what matters. And that's all I care about. Sarah's still exploring her gender identity. But that doesn't have to be connected to her outward appearance. I've dappled with the identity of non-binary and and I think with the pandemic, a lot of people had to face thoughts that they would otherwise ignore. And I dabble with that idea, but I don't fully like talk about it much. But again, I'm just going to do me. But at first, Sarah worried about returning to work in person. The last time she was in the office, she looked a lot different than she does now. I'm in banking, which is a whole nother cup of tea when it comes to like presentation. When she eventually returned to the bank, Sarah went as far as to meet with her bosses to address her concerns. 
I think it was just anxiety yeah. and like just not not even them, but like being me being worried about what other people would think, which is most of my problems <laughs> is like if there would happen to be anybody new and them seeing me go into a bathroom looking the way I do, would they be weirded out by that? In this meeting, Sarah offered to explain her PCOS to her coworkers. And they said, no, like if they like you want to tell people, you can like converse with them about it and they can ask. Yeah, they've been really nice and supportive and and not given me any issues about presenting the way I do. Fortunately, most of Sarah's coworkers have been fairly understanding. In reality, most of the people that I work with have known me the whole, since before the pandemic, so it wasn't a problem. But if they had an issue, they could just talk about it and I would tell them why. And in reality, it's it's not that big of a deal. Unlike at work, Sarah never had to worry about being accepted at alibis. So this has been like a safe bubble, per se, where people don't judge. There's all sorts of people here, regardless of sexuality or gender, straight, not straight, cis, gender, not cis. Like, it's, it's, they're open, and that's never been something that people judged. And that's amazing. Like, you, I can't say the same out of outside of, of this bar, and nor have I really given the people the chance to, but... Still, it's it's nice that this is that place that I can go and just be me and 100% myself. But like any bar, Alibis does have its fair share of interpersonal issues, many of which have to do with politics. It's weird because Oklahoma is such a conservative, conservative state. So it's div- it's difficult. That was Crystal again, one of the current owners. She says Alibi still has plenty of straight patrons and plenty of conservative ones. You know, you're not supposed to talk about politics in a bar, but that's not who we are. We're going to talk about anything in that bar. So um, we had a little bit of pushback whenever around politics. We had a really large, um, like, motorcycle, like, biker type of following um, that had been friend, had become friends over the years. And... Uh, they kind of stopped coming when we got into the politic conversations. <laughs> and then they're back. It's just kind of that given that ebb and flow of how it works. Get mad because we're too liberal and we're not conservative enough. And then we get mad at them because they're too conservative. So they stop coming for a while and then we all make up and it's fine. And the pandemic has definitely exacerbated political tensions. When the pandemic happened and we had to follow certain rules and they didn't like them, and they started treating the people like absolute, my staff like absolute garbage. There was an incident of people coming in that had been um, exposed. Somebody had been had popped positive. I vowed at that point, if I had to get all new clientele, I would. I mean, it was just, it was awful. Crystal was fed up with the way people were treating her staff, constantly pushing back and snapping at them over COVID regulations or otherwise. So she introduced a new policy, one that's pretty unique for the service industry. Crystal's staff can stick up for themselves. I let them handle it the way they see fit. Like if there's somebody that's being rude with them, they're allowed to handle that. I just don't, I can't live in a world where my staff gets abused just because they work in the service industry. I can't have people treating them like that and it being okay, and them not have the ability to say anything back just because they're an employee. 
This policy is a stark contrast from the classic mantra of the customer is always right. But Crystal has spent enough time in the service industry to know that's not necessarily true. Before, I used to be like, we're nice no matter what. Because it's, so what? You're just be nice. It's not that hard. Just be nice. But then after I watched it for years, no. Like, why are you really calling my my bartender like names because you, they wouldn't give you, they wouldn't give you what you asked for. Or they cut you off. You know, it's just silly things like that. I just, I just can't, I can't watch it anymore. I can't look, I can't watch them cry to me and be upset. It's their time turn to take a little revenge back. They've just taken enough shit. It's not that Crystal enjoys watching these conflicts escalate. Don't get it twisted. It's still really uncomfortable to watch sometimes. Like sometimes when they're snarky, it's really uncomfortable, but I I just walk away and let them do it. It's all part of Crystal's mission, to keep alibis a safe space for everyone. From COVID exposure to homophobia to unruly customers. What changed is, is that it felt like I had failed at that. It is something that I've worked really hard to keep it a safe space um, for everybody. Trans, straight, lesbian, gay, everybody, people of color. I just want everybody to be there and be good and have a good time and not be horrible people. It's home. I mean, if, even to, to this day, that's what I've always tried to um, preach about us is that it's home. It's where you come when you've had your worst day, your best day, your breakups, your makeups. I mean, just everything. Cruising is reported and produced by Rachel Carp, Jen McGinnity, and me, Sarah Gabrielli. Our theme song is by Joey Freeman, and our club music this week was produced by Stephen Morton. If you like cruising, want to support us, and get access to more content, then join our Patreon at patreon.com slash cruisingpod. Follow us along on our road trip and see pictures at our website, cruisingpod.com, or follow us on social media at cruisingpod. Special thanks this week to Crystal, Tiffany, Lisa, Sarah, and Lily. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts.